And we're back, the first MVM of 2024. Robin Will on that podcast, bringing you Fantastic Four 2015, one of the very worst superhero <laughs> movies of all time. Uh, thanks for joining us. We know many of you, uh, not many of you, we know some of you don't tune in to part one. I always find that quite interesting. Who doesn't want the history and the context? Some skip straight to part two. So welcome, saying hello for the first time. Happy New Year for the first time to those of you that don't like context and history, that only want, like those people that don't want to eat their vegetables. They just want to go straight to dessert. That's what we get. We know you're out there. We see you on the downloads. We see you. Um, for those of you who uh, are just joining us right now, one of our announcements, you should check out part one. It's incredible. It's got all amazing announcements for what's going to take place this year on Marvel vs. Marvel. But one announcement you may have missed if you are just joining us now is that the show is going to start to sound different in 2024. Um, lots of people feeling the pinch. Our Patreon is not at the level it was even a handful of months ago. Um, <clears throat> we know that those are, are difficult financial decisions being made by people. Please head to Patreon dot com slash marvel versus marvel to support us if you can in the meanwhile me and will are going to have to sell our souls and indulge in adverts on the podcast to try and uh, and help uh, smooth things over and get things back to where they were um, we're not sure when it's going to start and when we're going to do but that's what's going to start to happen and it may be intrusive and you may not like it and we urge you all if that's the case there is a solution the first solution is the skip button. <laughs> and if that's too much for you, because maybe you're in the gym or you're on a you're on the bike or you're walking, whatever, you can head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel and we've got ad-free episodes available there. You'll get to hear them three days before the rest of the world. They'll drop on a Friday morning and they'll be 100% ad-free. So... um there's a way around the situation. So the people, mega shout out to the people that are still supporting us on Patreon, each and every one of them. But the the big tier, the top tier, the heavy hitters, the world class wrecking crew: Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski, Zach Thomas, Bastabir, Sam, Bindi, Soupy, Jack Davis, David Fan, rocking us through to 2024 with the biggest support. They can give us on Patreon. Shout out to the world class breaking crew. <clears throat> in part one, we laid a, a, a massive. We made a bed. Will <laughs> we laid the bed in part one? It's time to time to go to bed. We uh, we explained the history of the Fantastic Four, the birth of the Marvel Universe, um, how this movie is actually based on the Ultimate Fantastic Four comics, largely, uh, which is a different, updated version. Will took us behind the scenes. And we looked at the maligned history of this movie. Mm. The firings, the hirings, the reshoots and everything else. <laughs> We've got that duvet laid crisp. The bed has been made. We'll take it away. Right, let's press play on the bed. <laughs> at a school in Oyster Bay, New York, 2007, a young Reed Richards tells his class that he wants to be the first person in human history to teleport himself much to the amusement of the class. 
But the young Richards has already started building a teleporter, calling it the Biomatter Shuttle. That night... Why, why shuttle? I don't know. Look, they've got ideas. Anyway, that night at his abusive family's junkyard, young Ben Grimm finds his classmate Reed rummaging in a car wreckage for a component he needs for his teleporter. Grimm decides to help him. So first of all, I, I spotted it right away. Dan Castellaneta plays the teacher at the start of this film. If you don't know who that is, you will know his voice. He is the voice of Homer Simpson. As That's Homer. right. Yep, yep. Big, One edition. Great, great, great guy. Uh, also, <laughs> also, is this is it next to your flying car? That line. I thought it was a reference to the Fantastic Car. I think it might be. I yeah. think it may well be. Yeah, because it yeah. fits in quite well in terms of mocking, but you know, while keeping in with the uh, law of this. But uh, more importantly, does Ben Grimm come from an abusive family, like it, like in this film? So not what you'd call like an abusive, <clears throat> an abusive kind of um, background like this. Um, ben is born on Yancey Street um, in Manhattan's Lower East Side. He grew up in poverty. Mm. His dad was an alcoholic. I don't think there's any any kind of like nudge or suggestion of abuse, but he does as an alcoholic. He can't get a job. He can't hold a job down. Um, I think his mum's dead already. Like when we kind of an early age. And his brother is the one that kind of provides for the family. Mm. And his brother's a criminal, like a street dog guy, works, well, works. He's part of the Yancey Street Gang, who indulge in all sorts of, like, stealing cars and robbing people and stuff. And um, Ben idolizes his brother and kind of um, gets turned against things because his, 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 his brother Daniel is killed in a street fight with a rival gang and... Ben is eight years old, and within the next ten years, he joins the Yancey Street Gang, becomes the leader, a real thug, real street thug. Mm. Um, but then, when his dad dies, he go. He's taken in by his uncle Jake and his aunt Petunia, um, and his uncle Jake kind of rose from a similar background to become a successful doctor. Um, and that sends him down a decent good path of going to school and paying attention and like getting off the streets. And he leaves the Yancey street gang behind and becomes this kind of football star, which gets him a scholarship to the same college where he meets Reed Richards. So it's not a, it's not like a, a wonderful background, mm -hmm. um, or one without conflict, but it, I wouldn't. It's not like this we see here with real abuse going on. And his brother's not like an awful abusive person to him. his brother's. You know, he makes his money through crime, but like young Ben, look, young Benji really looks up to him. Okay, so it's a bit more nuanced than what this film did. At Richard's family garage, Grim helps the young scientist to be install the component in Reed's machine. Activating the machine causes a blackout in the entire neighborhood. But the toy car that was placed inside the machine has now been replaced by some mysterious rocks. Wherever those rocks came from, the toy car is now there. <clears throat> Reed Richards, at a very young age, has created the world's first fully working teleporter. I, 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 I did howl at the grid of Nintendo 64s hooked up to the machine. I thought that was a nice little touch. Even though I don't know yeah. why why they do that because it's in two thousand and seven, in two thousand and seven, I'm like, come on, it's, it's ten years. GameCube, GameCube, oh, GameCube <laughs> would slot in really nice, wouldn't it? They slot yeah. in because they're because they're square as well. Yeah, that's true. 
Seven years later, Reed and Ben demonstrate the fully finished version of the teleporter at a science fair. This time, using a toy plane that goes to the Sahara Desert and back. However, despite the teleporter working, albeit with some disruption, Reed's teacher isn't impressed and disregards the device as a magic trick, as well as disqualifying the two science students. However, they are suddenly approached by Professor Franklin Storm with his daughter Sue, who immediately shows interest in their device, recognising that Reed has cracked interdimensional travel. Franklin offers the two a scholarship at the Baxter Foundation, a government-sponsored research institute for young prodigies to help him work on the on interdimensional travel. I find it really hard to believe that the science teacher would just poo-poo the device when it's clearly a working teleporter and just go, it's magic! What you, but what do you mean by clearly a working teleporter? The, 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 the thing disappeared and came, and came back. So you, you, your first assumption would be, well, he's done what is literally impossible and invented teleportation and not... He's done some dumb trick because he's a kid. I, I, I would at least look. Stuff happened. There was electricity <laughs> and and bright lights. I would have at least gone right. We need to do further checks to make sure this actually works. So you know, not Gullible. not, not yeah, you, oh, we could we could scam Will Preston. No problem. Jesus Christ. Anyway, <laughs> I like the touch of the Baxter Foundation. So the Baxter Building. I I guess it's a, it's a reference. Uh, this is going. This is a different story to the one we saw in the previous movies. Though, like obviously teleportation instead of going to space, and everyone's younger and working for the government. Did they just update the story from the comics, or is this something that they've done, say, like the Ultimates or something? It's it's yeah. It's this is taken wholesale from the Ultimate Fantastic Four. Comics, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, which Marvel published. Um, uh, this was in part one. They published in two thousand and four from. Mark Miller, Brian Michael Bendis, and Adam Kubert. So it is an updated version of the characters to present a more modern origin story because the 1960s was a long time ago from 2004, um, almost as long ago as we are now from 2004. Um, oh, so God, in, the, yeah. in, the, in the original stories, Reed, Sue, and Ben are all like fully grown adults when they get their powers. Hmm. In Ultimate Fantastic Four, all the characters are barely out of their teens they're college kids and they are all recruited to a government sponsored think tank called the baxter foundation um that has ties to the military and this is where reed and sue meet for the first time it's all it's all what we're seeing here it all right down to the the science fair bit <clears throat> like instead of building to want uh, wanting to build a, a spaceship to go into space reed's trying to create a teleportation device so yeah down to the teleportation device at the school science fair uh it's it's all it's all uh all from the ultimate fantastic four comics that is a, a quite a nice update i kind of like that update because it's like space cosmic rays no weird dimension works better for me <laughs> yeah at the baxter foundation reed and ben are shown to their living quarters before reed tries to make conversation with a dismissive sue storm in the library reed claims that he doesn't want to be famous but for his work to make a difference at a meeting with government-appointed scientist Dr. Allen, Franklin Storm argues for his troubled protege, Victor Von Doom, to be part of their teleportation project. Franklin believes that Victor and Reed can succeed with their interdimensional teleporter project. At Victor Von Doom's home, Franklin approaches his embittered young protege and convinces him to return, return to the project, one that Victor started. So we've got Tim Blake Nelson here in another Marvel role. 
Fantastic. Always like seeing him, even though... Another mad scientist as well. Another mad... Yeah, another... Yeah, there we go. Another scientist. Uh, Looking forward to seeing him come back in uh, Thunderbolts, apparently. That'll be... Or is it... He's going to be back in Thunderbolts. Yeah, looking forward to that. Also impressive that a young person uh, like Sue Storm is listening to Portishead in 2014. (laughs) You know what? I, I, I... I love Portishead. Mm. I'm what they call a Portishead head. Yay! So I, uh, they, I, I had to do a little look into this. They did have a resurgence in around this time. Oh no way! <clears throat> There's a movie, like it's it's a it's a it's a, a tower block movie, mm. and I think Loki the the Loki actor is in it. Oh, high rise. Right, because it's the bomb based on that uh, J.G. Ballard book. I've, I've read the book and seen the film. Yeah. And uh, Portishead did a cover of an ABBA song, SOS. Yes, I remember that. Was yeah. in the trailer and yeah. in that movie. So they had a resurgence in 2014, yeah, 15. Great band, great genre. Trip-hop is a fantastic genre. Uh, I liked seeing Toby Kebbell in this. Okay, they could have got someone better to play Doom, you know, with more presence. But <laughs> I kind of I like him still. There's something I like about Toby. Also, they could have got someone better, but I'm, right. I, I don't. I've really talked myself out of that. Yeah, also, it sounds also, like it. Also, in that scene where he's sat at home moping, he's watching a video of someone playing Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which I played for the second time recently. Good game. I'll be honest. Nothing for me. Kind of like Victor Von Doom playing a video game. He's not even playing it. He's watching. I think he's watching someone play it. It. it, it that's the end of the character for me. Yeah, because he's a bit—he's above that, isn't he? He's supposed to be an arrogant genius. I also don't like Victor Von Doom being young. Yeah, like I quite—I'm—I'm not—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm okay with the Fantastic Four being a bit younger, mm. but I don't like Doom being. Yeah, I—I I get that. Playing video games and skateboarding <laughs> with his Converse and, and moping around like a teenager, ordering some pizza. Yeah. <laughs> like what's going on? <laughs> So this this is a character we've never come across before. I don't think we've ever mentioned him before. So what can you tell us about uh, Sue and Johnny's dad, Franklin Storm? The tragedy of Franklin Storm. Oh, no, here we go. Um, so he's an accomplished surgeon in the comics. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> while out driving with his wife to a dinner, being Ooh. held in his honour... One of the tires in the car blows out and he swerves and he crashes and his wife is severely injured and he himself operates on her to try and save her life but then she dies and he blames himself and he starts turning to drink and gambling. No. And he borrows more and more large sums of money as he gambles through his depression. And then a loan shark who he owes money to threatens his kids, Sue and Johnny... And uh, he grapples, Doctor Al- Doctor Storm grapples with the man and the gun, and the gun goes off, and it kills the loan shark, oh. and he's sentenced to twenty years for murder. <laughs> and he tells wow. Sue, who's the eldest, "Don't come and visit me in prison." And so she tells Johnny that their dad is dead. Don't know why. Um, That's weird. And then when Sue's all over the newspaper, all over the news because she's got superpowers, Dr. Storm breaks out of prison. And then when she gets hurt by the 
mole man and she needs help he comes out of hiding disguises himself as a doctor operates on sue unbeknownst to her saves her life and then goes back to prison (laughs) um he's like i've done my duty now back to prison for me and then while he's in prison Hmm. The Super Skrull appears to him. <laughs> the Super Skrull is a shape-shifting Skrull that can take anyone's appearance and has superpowers. And he takes the appearance of Dr. Storm, Franklin Storm, and says, you going to somewhere else now? And teleports Franklin Storm to the Skrull homeworld, where he's held prisoner. Disguised as Dr. Franklin Storm... he breaks out of prison and claims to have acquired superhuman powers like the Fantastic Four and and Franklin Storm to call himself I am now the Invincible Man (laughs) and he's going to go and attack the Fantastic Four thinking that they'll be so distracted by my appearance I'll get one up on them but he doesn't (laughs) Reed Richards it's almost immediately like, ah, no, you're a scroll. Yeah. Um, and so they exchange prisoners, and they get, they get um, Franklin Storm back from the scroll homeworld. But those sneaky, sneaky scrolls, they attach a, it's like let's call it a bomb. It's a, mm. it's an energy beam projection. It's a bomb. They put a bomb on his chest. <laughs> And the bomb is designed to detonate the moment he sees the Fantastic Four. So the Fantastic Four do all this thing to, we must get Franklin Storm back from the scrolls. And as soon as he a- arrives and sees them, he's going to kill them all mm. through no fault of his own. So when he finally appears, he goes, stay away, stay away from me, stay away from me. And then jumps and like on the floor and like wraps himself around the bomb and takes the full force of the blast and dies immediately. So Sue and Johnny see their dad for the first time in 20 years, Johnny ever, and he just appears. First of all, he's not a scroll. Then they get the real one, and then he dies immediately in front of them. Bloody hell, that's a bit And that's that's a Stanley trope. What, the the tragedy? Very, very specifically, um, a character who through a misunderstanding has led a criminal life mm. works t- and 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 sometimes is opposing the heroes makes a realization that he's on the wrong path changes his ways and is like does something really good to help save does something really good to kind of turn things around and as soon as he turned his life around they die sacrificing themselves <laughs> in front of the hero he does it with loads of, of like small part characters like Wonder Man was a bit like that. And Surprised that hasn't got a term or something for that kind of trope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sue and Reed named their first son Franklin after after this, after oh. her dad. Oh, lovely. The next day, Reed and Sue start to work at the Baxter Foundation's teleporter lab, spotting Victor Von Doom's arrival. As Victor is arrogantly, arrogantly critiquing Reed's work, Franklin introduces Reed and Storm to his protege. Victor shows Reed and Sue infrared footage of the world that the teleporter leads to. Dr. Storm claims that this world is a parallel dimension that they have dubbed Planet Zero. Franklin also hopes that they can use resources from this mysterious new world to help Earth, but Victor is a little pessimistic about that thought. However, Franklin tells the young team that they need to come together as a team to help the future of Earth. 
Victor then reveals that the young team will be the first ones to use the teleporter to explore Planet Zero. Pleased to see an arrogant, incredibly arrogant Victor Von Doom. If a bit, you know, moody in, in a teenagery way. Was the other guy not incredibly arrogant in the previous Tim Story movies? I don't remember him that well. Uh, I do okay. not remember that. He seems smarmy and smug. This one's just, you know, horrible. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Also, uh, really nice to see uh, the sadly departed uh, Reggie Cathy in this. Uh, loved him in The Wire and House of Cards. Absolutely yeah. golden voice. Love it. Yeah. So later that evening, Franklin's other more hot-headed child, Johnny Storm, engages in a legal street race. However, Johnny's car suffers an engine failure and spins out, landing him a trip to the hospital, as well as a telling off from his father. Franklin believes his son is wasting his potential and coerces him to come and work on the project. At the lab, Johnny is introduced to the rest of the team, forming a quick friendship with Reed. And another actor from The Wire, Michael B. Jordan here, shortly before playing Killmonger in Black Panther. This is a better explanation for why... um... Johnny's there than in the original 60s story oh, yeah. where it's like Reed Richards I have built this ship I've designed it and here's my best friend Ben the test pilot and also my fiance for some reason is coming with me and that's the team what's that dear oh yes and her kid brother <laughs> <laughs> he just happens to be there <laughs> so is Johnny Storm a street racer in the comics, or is the director trying to do a Fast and Furious sort of thing here? Column A, little from Column B. There we go. Um, no, J- Johnny. Johnny is uh, is a, a, a well-established petrol head. I believe the term is hmm. uh, going back to the sixties. In the original stories, he he's literally driving what they would call a jalopy, like a hot rod, like grease lightning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, he's always been depicted driving uh, fast cars, and that like if you asked me to describe Johnny Storm, I think I said earlier, it'd be like dating hot women, driving hot cars. That's kind of that's the that's the the uh, the Johnny Storm thing. But he's actually like a really really good mechanic. He can he can repair, maintain, and kind of build a car any car. Um, you'd you'd find so you'd find Reed in the lab. Ben would be in the hangar sorting out the jets. And Johnny would be in the FF garage, kind of sorting out, tinkering around with mm. the dozen or so cars that the FF have. So, yeah. And then, weirdly, it is later established, as I discussed earlier, that, uh, not even later, yeah, it's established in the in the 60s, that his mom died in a car crash. Uh, and yet Johnny is kind of, like, obsessed with cars since he was... Since she died. He's got a morbid curiosity, if you will. That's weird. Or a death wish. Oh, Some people have said maybe it's a death wish. That, that a fascination sense. with, you know, danger to the extent that it could... You, know, there, you, you can draw some wonderful parallels when you know that his dad was a gambler and his mom died in a car crash. Johnny's, like, ah. kind of attraction to very reckless behaviour kind of starts to make sense in a way that no one's really ever picked up on in the comics, I don't think. That, 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 that makes sense. I, li- I like that connection. Over the next few days, the team works tirelessly, tirelessly on creating a fully working interdimensional teleporter. During this time, Reed and Sue start to bond, but Victor disapproves of this unprofessional relationship. Despite this, however, the project is finally complete. The teleporter is ready to go. On the big day, Dr. Allen arrives to supervise the first use of the teleporter. 
The first test subject, a chimpanzee, is successfully sent to Planet Zero. Looking at the footage with amazement, Franklin hypothesizes that they could use data from this world to find out about the origin of the human race, as well as answer many other scientific questions. Activating the teleporter again, the chimpanzee comes back in one piece and in good condition. The machine is now ready for human trials. I did quite like this scene, like for the scientific wonder of it all. It's like, oh, this is like, you know, it's, it's, it's a typical scene. But I, I was like, oh, I'm enjoying this bit where they're going, oh, we've discovered something. Oh. I thought they should have had two test monkeys and one should have been called Stan and the other should have been called Jack. That's, <laughs> I just, I, as soon as it was a monkey, I thought, oh, they're going to give the monkey some sort of clever name. Yeah. They didn't, a they nod didn't to something them, or other. They didn't give they? the monkey a name. No. So is this how, how <coughs> Reed and Sue first meet in the comics? Are they working together and glance up at the workbenches? This gets tricky. Oh, God. Uh, in the Ultimate Marvel Universe, yes, this is exactly how they first meet. No notes, everything's fine, move on and go home. Would you like to hear the other problematic version? Yes, please. So in the original comics, Reed and Sue are described as having known each other since they were kids. Hmm. This thing gets a little confusing when Stan Lee answers a fan letter in the letters page of an issue of Fantastic Four and says that Reed is 10 years older than Sue. No! He's in his 30s and she's in his 20s, right? No. So growing up together doesn't make much sense. Yeah. In the 1980s, when John Byrne is writing and drawing the Fantastic Four, he's very, very keen on taking... Everything from the Stanley Jack Kirby era, and just giving it a bit of a modern sheen. Mm. So he depicts a controversial scene of their first meeting that oh, explains oh. that backstory. Reed is twenty-two years old in college, renting a house from Sue's aunt when he first meets Sue, who is twelve years old. No, and in this scene. It's described that 12-year-old Sue has the pangs of first love when she meets this 22-year-old man. Now, that's all it says, but obviously that's still all kinds of wrong yeah. and problematic, especially for a comic that kids are going to read and take information from. Yeah, that's, that's very weird. Um, there should not be any kind of relation like that between people of those ages. Nope. Um, now, obviously... That needed to be changed. So uh, the Fantastic Four stories were... It took them a while, but they did completely do away with this. And they, they they kept the setting in the background. Of, uh, that's all the same. But when Reed first meets Sue, or when Sue first meets Reed and has feelings for him, she's 19 years old. Okay, that's an improvement. Yes, 19, 22, no problems with yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's better, that's better. Anyway, however... Dr. Allen, impressed with the experiment, tells the team that he'll be bringing in people from NASA to step first on Planet Zero instead of the young team, leaving them crestfallen. Annoyed, Reed, Johnny and Victor get drunk together, with Victor pontificating that being the first person on Planet Zero should be his glory moment. Reed follows suit and convinces them to use the machine without the rest of the lab knowing. Reed invites his childhood friend Ben Grimm to their illegal escapade before they all suit up. Victor telling Dr. Allen about sending prisoners to Planet Zero. I, I saw that as a nod to Prison 42, which, of course, is the prison he creates in the negative zone, isn't it? 
Uh, yes, it was uh, featured in Civil War, and we 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 dealt with it in um, uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, I think. Earth's Mightiest Heroes is um, in there, yeah, yeah. I, just, I, I don't think yeah. any of these people know that. Oh, <laughs> they, they accidentally made a reference. No, they made yeah, a no, reference to that. No one, no one knows that. Oh, they they just. Yeah. It's a joke. It's, it's a hellscape, you know. Where else yeah. are you going to do? Just like yeah. Australia. What are you going to do with Australia? Same prisoners <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, true. I kind of like that the Fantastic Four's fated creation, you know, how they became to be, was just out of drunken arrogance. At least as an excuse. Yeah. In the 60s, it's just, we hate the commies so much, we're going to steal a rocket. <laughs> Not even drunk. Not even... Drinking would hurt, would actually make more sense. In that, in that, in yeah. Yeah. Strapping themselves into the machine, Victor, Reed, Johnny, and Ben activate the teleporter. However, Sue is working late and is alerted to the machine's activation. Without wasting time, she calls her dad to come to the lab. As the teleporter counts down, the team is teleported to Planet Zero. Stepping out from the teleporter, the group stares in awe at the utterly alien world of Planet Zero. Victor stares at a mysterious flow of green liquid in the distance, but as soon as the rest of the team plant a flag in the ground, the floor cracks, revealing a similar green glow from beneath. Heading to where the flow converges, the team finds a glowing green pool of energy that seems to be alive. However, when Victor reaches out to touch the pool, it suddenly erupts, causing the ground to rupture beneath them. As they run back to the teleporter, Victor is grabbed and covered by the mysterious energy and pulled into the crumbling ground below. The rest of the team hurry back to the transporter, but can't activate it. However, Sue is able to communicate with them back at the lab and works by, and uh, <clears throat> works at manually overriding the machine. However, as she is doing this, the machine is compromised by the elements from Planet Zero before explosively reappearing back in the lab, causing another blackout. So not as a dramatic as a crash landing from space, or, but I'll take it. I'll, I'll have it. It's fine. <laughs> Is Planet Zero something from the comics, or was it created from uh, from, the, from the movie? In 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 the Ultimate Comics, it isn't Planet Zero, but the N Zone, right? Which okay. is, of course, the Ultimate Marvel version of the Negative Zone. I thought it was a replacement for the Negative Zone. Yeah, and to to well, this is out there. The Negative Zone is a very prominent, terrifying dimension in Marvel comics that was first discovered by the the fantastic four in the in the 1960s um the end zone the ultimate version is is described as being a dimension that sits directly below the ultimate marvel universe on the on the planes of existence and it's a universe in the later stages of entropic heat death so it has less than a million years of existence left as all the stars are burning out there's still a few stars burning um, but there's precious little life, despite the advanced technology of the of the few races left, mm. and uh, not much going on. So they're all desperate, desperate to break free into another plane of existence for heat and food and life. And it kind of makes them, they're not exactly zombies, but there has like a zombie or vampiric quality to mm. them. They want to find life, burst through and drink it down. They're kind of just um, hellish. Yeah, and yeah. um, the atmosphere is absolutely lethally acidic to um, to a, a regular person. And they have to wear very special spacesuits to to just kind of walk around in in the end zone. Except for the thing, who is fine. Yeah, um, 
And they even have a version of a nihilist, the insectoid leader called ah, yes. Nihil. Um, they made yeah. him a bit Who, more Lovecrafty. Maybe, yeah. Like, yeah, that, that that name does sound Lovecrafty. It sounds like Venus. It just sounds like Venus. <laughs> the planet. What Venus. sounds like Venus? I thought you were talking about the name. I think no. Nihil sounds like Venus. No, 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 because I think the uh, the atmosphere of Venus is highly acidic and stuff, and it's just a hellscape. Oh. Yeah. Waking up in the wrecked lab, Reed sees Johnny in flames and hears Ben calling for help. Calling over to Ben, trapped under a pile of rocks, Ben turns around. Uh, sorry, uh, Reed turns around and notices his legs, trapped under some rubble, have stretched across the room. Seeing his body in a horrifying state, Reed passes out from shock. I do. I did like. I did kind of like this scene because we get a bit of body horror. Because I don't know if I've mentioned <coughs> it. I I I, 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 I like body horror aspect of this. I think it's the most interesting um, bit of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that. I'd go with that. I don't like how Sue is like... Sue feels like such an afterthought in this movie. Yeah, it, just, it, feels, it, it feels like she's the nagging one. Like, oh, she's ruining their right? fun. It's all the lads get to get together yeah. to go off and do this thing, and she's trying to stop them, and... Yeah, and then gets caught up. Yeah, it it does. It, it really does feel like they don't, they don't feel like it doesn't feel like a team. It just feels like they happen to be working in the same place now. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Whereas the family element, like that's the thing that, and they lose it. Uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four loses this as well. It loses the family element completely mm. when it's a, a man and his fiance or a man and his wife and her brother. And his best friend. That is a family. Yeah. When it's just like peep kids that know each other because they're at college. That's nothing. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. The next day, the team is taken to Area 57, a classified military base. Reed wakes up surrounded by scientists in hazmat suits with his limbs stretched out across the room. As Reed calls out for Ben, the scientists order Reed to move his fingers. Elsewhere in the base, Franklin Storm... Move your fingers! Move your fingers! <laughs> Stretch your arms across the room, Mads Mickelson. <laughs> if you haven't listened to part one, oh, you've missed a good callback. Uh, elsewhere in the base, Franklin Storm is interrogated by military personnel as to what happened, but Franklin demands to know where his children are. He is then led to Sue's containment cell, with Sue currently unconscious and turning invisible. At Johnny's containment cell, his body is in a constant state of flame. As he wakes up, he creates a burst of flames that destroys the windows. Picking himself up from the floor, Franklin stares in disbelief at what his son has become. I know Fantastic Four is supposed to be more light-hearted, but I, that, that's the, I like this kind of horror approach to the origin story. Because it, it, their, their powers, especially, uh, I mean, not so much, uh, not so much Sue's Storms, but there, it, there is a horrific element to it. It's meant to be based around sort of some element of tragedy, although... In the comics, the original comics, there's nothing like, there's nothing awful about like the, 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 there's a brief fear that Johnny Storm is literally on fire and burning to death. <laughs> but then he's fine and he's flying around and he's loving it. Yeah, Sue can turn invisible, Reed can stretch. Everything's fine for them. They they've got powers. It's not like um, presented as anything other than like got superpowers. Cool. Ben's got the. For me, it detracts from Ben Grimm 
Ah. If everyone's got, oh, isn't it horrible? My thumb gets big. My thumb gets big. <laughs> or I can turn on to fire and off whenever I want. Or sometimes I'm invisible. Like, making them out to be monstrosities detracts from the tragedy of Ben Grimm's character. And I think it doesn't work in Ultimate Fantastic Four, and I don't think it works in this movie. Well, in this episode about tragic accidents mm-hmm. and families falling apart. It's time to address our family is falling apart. And it's time for you <laughs> out there to correct the tragic accident of not supporting this podcast on Patreon. The MVM family has fallen apart, folks. We're horribly disfigured from your lack of pledges. We need to all unite as one fantastic family, yes, Mm. it all works, to survive and to help us keep making this show. We literally cannot make this podcast without your support. Everyone who subscribes on Patreon is part of our family, our community. They help build this podcast, keep us on the air. We reserve the very best episodes just for them in December. We released, I mean, first of all, first of all, what a year we had last year with Spider-Geddon and the Kang Dynasty and the Infinity Gauntlet and the Secret Invasion episode and the Ultimates. I mean, flipping heck, you got your money's worth in 2023. 2024 will be no different. Last month, <laughs> it was a Squadron Supreme, um, which like was something I'd wanted to do for a long time, but I wasn't sure because it doesn't feature any recognizable Marvel characters. Because it's a, a, like a, a Marvel multiverse, a, a different universe to the Avengers and Spider-Man. Um, but it was... I know, Will, that you really uh, enjoyed that, that kind of more contemplative... It was a darker story. Um, and it was something that we, we could see the the influences it had, even on something like Civil War. Mm. Right, the, yeah, the way we had superheroes fighting superheroes, and so I put you in the middle of a sentence there. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Your tone went, and, and this thing of like, how do we, how do we deal with super villains, and mm. and what do we, you know, we talked about super, super kind of negative zone prisons in this episode. Yeah, and yeah. Squatch and Supreme had uh, some interesting ways of handling their super villains. <laughs> it's a big, big, big story. It's really good. This month. In January, it's a deep dive into one of the greatest Fantastic Four stories of all time. Maybe the greatest Doctor Doom story of all time. Unthinkable. Doctor Doom renounces science, embraces dark magic, damns Sue and reads child to hell, begins torturing the FF in unthinkable ways. Um, and that's available at our bonus episode tier, which is the VIEP tier. For £10, you get access to all our other um, rewards, and you get access to the deep dive bonus episode of the month, um, which this month is unthinkable. Um, there's lots of other rewards on Patreon in exchange for your uh, pledges to this show. Um, as we mentioned, adverts are coming in 2024. We've got no choice on that one. But if you hate adverts, you're in luck because you can get early access to each and every episode completely ad-free for just £5 a month. Um, we know times are tough. 
Everyone's feeling the pinch. And that's why you can support us for as little as £3 a month. Less than the price of a Starbucks. Less than the price of a beer. Are you telling me this podcast is not worth the same to you as one Starbucks a month? Not even one Starbucks a month. (laughs) One payment once a month and that will help keep us going. And in exchange, we'll give every single one of you access to Obscure Marvel. It's the uh, the very special show where I force Will into the trash cans of the Marvel Universe with me and uh, expose him and all of you to the most ridiculous and obscure characters and stories in the history of Marvel. This month in January was Zarko the Tomorrow Man. <laughs> a man... First of all, Thor... Thor's plan to test out a nuclear bomb is I'll wear it, see, see what happens when it blows up. Um... <laughs> Zarko's amazing uh, scientific know-how is I've built a time machine. That's step one of my plan. What's step two, Zarko? Run towards the nuclear bomb. Just grab it. Just grab it and run away with it. That's that's my high-tech solution. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, we've had some incredible times with, with uh, Obscure Marvel in 2023. They're all available to you. You sign up for a month and you can go and binge Every single thing we've done in the past, um, it's all up there and available on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Back to the show. In his containment cell, Reed hears Ben's voice calling out through a vent. Reed is then able to free himself from his bonds using his new stretching abilities. Crawling through the vents towards Ben's voice, finding Ben's cell, Reed is is shocked to find Ben now resembling a living pile of rocks. Ben is in shock over his new transformation and breaks free from his bonds, triggering an alarm. Reed promises to come back for Ben as he escapes out of the building. Dr. Allen angrily storms into Franklin's room and demands to know where Reed is before heading to Ben's cell. Dr. Allen tells Ben that he can turn him back if he helps him, with Ben agreeing to help. So it's halfway through the film and there's been incredibly little superheroing. No superheroing. There's been, I will va- yes, zero. Zero. There's, I would argue there's been almost no action apart from the accident. We like talked, we've talked, we, we talked before about this thing of decompression and compression in storytelling mm. in comic books. How that the, um, the stories of the 30s, 40s, 50s and the 60s are really compressed because comic books were about kind of efficiency of storytelling. Mm. So... The uh, Spider-Man's origin story occurs in, like, three pages. Done. (laughs) That's it. Over. Mm. And then when that story is retold in the ultimate um, Spider-Man comics in 2000, we have this thing called decompression, where they take a monumental event like the origin of Spider-Man, and they say, well, that would play out over probably six issues of a comic, Mm. not six pages. And... I don't know. There's something. There's, one is not always right, and the other's not always right. When we saw Tim Story's Fantastic Four, I don't feel they cheated us on the origin story, but we then got a whole movie as well yeah. about them and Doctor Doom and stuff. Yeah, it was like maybe a third of the movie was the origin. Yeah, and two thirds everything else. That's how a superhero should, movie should be. You should have set up set up the heroes. Do do some basic crime fighting or whatever to show off their abilities, just so you get a taste of it, while introducing or setting up the main villain, and then the third act fight the villain. 
it, yeah. fe- it felt like we didn't get the, the middle section. We just got beginning and no. end. Yeah, it, we didn't like get a, any villain build up really. No, he, he's a bit angry. He's a bit mopey. That's about it. And then he's and what, what, why is that again? Why is he? I don't. What's no, his? No, nobody. Exp- he's just. He's no, just angry. No raison d'être. No raison d'être. He's just. A, he's just an angry man. That's <coughs> that's his yeah. power. That's his. Yeah. That's his. That's his. Uh, to be fair, the Tim Story version leaves out the Doctor Doom, Reed Richards. That what is so wonderful about Doctor Doom is, mm. and and Reed is the pettiness of this. If you don't know the story, they are college. Um, compatriots they go to the same college Reed and and Victor Von Doom Mm. and Victor is very very arrogant and he's building his own device and one day Reed who doesn't like Victor says oh Victor you've got your math wrong that device is gonna go all wrong on you and Victor is like, how dare you? How dare you correct me? I haven't got anything wrong. I am Victor Von Doom. I am from the aristocracy. Get out of here, you man. <laughs> how dare he correct my thing? And then he sits in a chair and it blows up <laughs> and scars him. <laughs> he, like he sits in his, sorry, he sits in a chair. He sits in his device that he's built. It blows up and scars him. And he's like, it must be Reed's fault. He's <laughs> <was> like, what? <laughs> it's, a gr- it's great. It's really good. Right, oh, it's just the, uh, paranoia and delusion, yeah. and no one is, and it, it chimes with so many people you see on the internet to, uh, today. I can't possibly be at fault. It must be everyone else. It must be trans people who have done this to me, and it's just <laughs> off they go. Oh, that's why I'm divorced again. Off they go. Um, and, and Victor Von Doom is a great example of, of that. That pure ego that tips him. And in both Fantastic Four movies, mm. we don't have that thing. We no, we don't. Because they're get... like, oh, we've got to shoehorn him into their or, into their origin story. You don't. Yeah. I never get. I get a bit more arrogance with this guy. The last guy just seemed a bit smug, but it's like, yeah, you, uh, he hasn't got. A, he hasn't got like a like a thing. He hasn't got like a reason. A, yeah, I get that. I get that. One year later, the rest of the team has been working with the U.S. military as weapons, complete with special suits around the world. With Doctor Allen presenting the combat data to the Pentagon, Doctor Allen also presents Planet Zero to the military with promises to use the mysterious <laughs> properties of it to transform. The U.S. military. And I present to you world. Planet Zero. <laughs> like it, it, it's presenting a planet to the Pentagon. What are we going to do with it? Stuff. We're the, we're the Pentagon. Ooh. We're spying on people. What are we going to do with a planet? <laughs> also, it's not a planet. It's a dimension. That's bugged me the whole movie. It's yeah, not a planet. It's, it's not a planet. You wouldn't describe Mars as dimension Mars. It's you a wouldn't planet. describe Mars as a dimension. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that old that old uh, piracy advert. Sorry, and so it's just I just it really bugs me that, that this whole it's like calling our dimension planet Earth or all of it, including Mars and Jupiter and so yeah, yeah. all planet Earth. Yeah, I get anyway. you, man. I get you. As I Do- get you, man. I get. You, I, man. I hear you, brother. Don't uh, worry. Calm down. Calm Rob. down. I need I need to finish off this last bit. As Doctor Allen flies to Area Fifty Seven with Pentagon officials, they watch as Johnny Storm, a flying flaming man. Destroying a UAV drone. What's the point of having Johnny Storm, the human freaking torch, in your movie if you don't get multiple scenes of him flying around, having a great time, impressing girls, being the the, the hot superhero? What's the point? What's the point in casting Michael B. Jordan and making him glum? 
<laughs> he should be taking his shirt off, impressing girls, bursting into flames, lighting people's cigarettes and stuff. I think his shirt melting drinks. I think uh, he made up for it in Black Panther when he took his shirt off. To be fair, <clears throat> he was a bit more. more we then. need more of it. If I want to make, if I'm spending millions on this movie, he should be shirtless the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> How else am I going to make my money back? Oh God, you're absolutely right. Also, Ben Grimm being used as a tool for the military and they're kind of stringing him along with a half-promise just felt sad. It just felt sad. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're setting Dr. Allen up as the next movie's bad guy. Yeah. They're setting him up to be this manipulative villain. And then he went, no, let's not do that. Yeah, I could see that now in retrospect. Arriving back at the lab, Johnny Storm deflames himself while scientists watch. <laughs> I I did not know what else to say. While scientists watch as Susan Storm is able to use force fields to levitate herself. While Johnny is enjoying his new powers, Sue merely sees them as conditions that need curing. Right. <laughs> like, why is Johnny enjoying his new powers? All we've seen him do is blow up drones for the military. Why is that cool? Yeah, I don't know. It's just. In, I, maybe in, just in, the other, in the other movies and in the comics, he is a famous celebrity, of course, <laughs> he, like who gets to fly. He's got the best life. And that, again, pulling that into um, a, 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 a contrast with, with Ben is, is, is a real key factor of why those characters work so mm. well and work so well together. Because the thing that gave Johnny this incredible life has doomed Ben. And that's... Like, such a unique way of tormenting the reader and Ben and... uh. I I get get you, mate. I get you, mate. (laughs) That's going to be a new catchphrase. That's going to be... Patronising me. Do you know what it feels like? It feels like I'm emceeing an open mic gig and I'm shining my my, my torch from the back of the room. I'm giving you the light going, come on, mate. Oh, you want me to stop talking so much on my podcast? (laughs) How dare you? You're starting to sound like Victor Von Doom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Arriving back in the lab, Johnny Storm... Oh, wait a minute. I already read that bit. Sorry. Uh, Da-da-da-da. Uh, while Johnny is in... Elsewhere in the base, Dr. Allen leads the Pentagon officials to Ben Grimm's cell. A general thanks Ben Grimm for his work. But Ben looks pessimistically... At, sorry, but Ben pessimistically looks as, as at his work as part of the deal to change him back. So, yeah, this is very depressing. They're basically held captive by the military and not out adventuring. Doesn't feel very superhero-y to me. No, why would I want these action figures? <laughs> Hey, do you want to buy some boot-licking military soldiers? Not really. Do Do you think they did make action figures for this film or not? Mm. No, I don't think that's they interesting. Did. I might you'd check think, it out. You'd think they would. If if would you be stupid not to make a movie like this? Then again, do they make action figures for for the X Men movies? I don't yeah, think they I did. swear they did. Like movie tie-ins for like Last Stand oh, and First that. Class. Mm, that's a point. We'll have to look that into that. I, I, I'm so unaware of that market. It's unreal. Anyway, where was I Where was I going? Oh, yes. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> in the lab, Franklin tells Dr. Allen and the officials that they're still unable to get the teleporter working again since the accident, but they will give him all the support he needs. In the meantime, the military wants Johnny ready for combat and sent into the field. Meeting with Sue, Franklin tells his daughter that the only way to fix their condition is to fix the teleporter. And without Reed... There is no hope. Reed has seemingly abandoned him and hasn't been seen in a year. 
but Franklin promises that they will find a cure. Franklin also reveals that the CIA and NSA have been unable to locate Reed, but are getting blips of him around the world. Sue Storm realizes that these blips are a pattern. I'm surprised the military didn't get involved sooner with the Fantastic Four in the comics. Did they? Did they do that? Well, in the original stories, Ben and Reed are both ex-military. Mm. They, oh, because they, they're still scientists, but yeah. Or did they? Serve? No, they, no, they both fought in the war. Oh, of course, yeah. They both fought the Second scale. World War, then it's updated to the Korean War and stuff. But like, um, Ben was a fighter pilot, and Reed worked. Reed's ex OSS. Like oh, he's wow. He's OG CIA. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you know what they say about the CIA? You never leave. Um, the original test flight accident is partly funded by the military. Yeah, but also don't sense, forget so. that this is happening in a vacuum. This is happening on its own. In the Marvel Universe, the uh, military's got a lot, like, there's a lot more going on. Reed builds things to explore and investigate. Mm. Tony Stark is straight up building death weapons <laughs> for the military each and every week. Every week a new and exciting way of murdering people. And and they don't need Reed. They've no interest in Reed and his spaceship and his telescope. Like <laughs> the Fantastic Four are explorers. Shield and the military are much more involved in the Avengers who I've got a guard and a death mm. merchant and Captain America <laughs> and they're always like warriors fighting and battling and and then off in another part of the city there's we found a doorway to another world what's in there trouble <laughs> we ran away and closed the door okay well we'll we'll call you occasionally but we're really we're going to spend time with the Avengers it's a good thing it all happens in one city for 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 some reason anyway Working with the communication experts on the base, Sue learns that Reed has been using encrypted communication to find spare machine parts. In Central America, Reed Richards, trying to blend in by changing his face, hunts down machine parts. Back at his hideout, Reed is constructing Cultural a appropriation! <laughs> <laughs> Reed is constructing a suit for himself, as well as trying to find where Ben Grimm will be operating next. As well as this, he's also been working on a single teleporter shuttle to get him back to Planet Zero. Meanwhile, back at the base, Sue has cracked Reed's decryption. Dr. Allen also presents Ben Grimm with a new mission that he might be interested in. So, Reed Richards can change his face? Didn't I mean, it makes sense. I can believe him doing it, but I've never heard about him doing this before. I've never heard about this happening. <clears throat> uh, regular Marvel Universe Reed Richards can shapeshift, yes. He can shift his body. He can increase and decrease it in mass. Wow. He can, like, replicate lots of inanimate and animate objects with enough practice, but he just doesn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> he has no interest in his stretching powers. It is a bit of a weird power. It's not like flying it, or super strength is... He it, just... Reed, Reed isn't trying to be better in combat, and he's not trying to be better in a tactical situation. He doesn't care about any... Like, people have a tendency when they view these stories... I mean, I say people. I mean video game players. But mm. an, awful lot of, an awful lot of people as well outside of that, they have a tendency to view these superheroes because they all come from a combat stance of, yeah. like, what's the best power in a fight? That's not... That is... The 9900th thing on Reed's list of priorities. Mm. He doesn't care. He's trying to find a new dimension underneath the wardrobe. He's just doing stuff, you know? <laughs> he, like, his intellect, 
He doesn't pay any attention to his powers because his his other thing that he had before getting superpowers was building stuff. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm not in the ultimate universe. I'm not sure if Ultimate Reed. I don't think he's ever done that. Um. But his power level, like he was able to stretch his body and create. Multiple different versions of his own body. Oh wow! Now that's mad. each with a different version of his own brain. Wow! So he would have conversations with himself, but all the bodies had to be like holding hands. They had to be connected by skin. Yeah, you can't split up. But that's still no, mad. No. God, that's weird. It's like a big, yeah. it's like one of those cut out. You know, you know when you make a cut out chain of people holding hands out of paper, kind of like that. Ultimate Reed's powers are insane. Yeah, that is all. Well, ultimate, I guess. At Reed's hideout, he's ambushed by U.S. Special Forces, but quickly uses his stretching abilities to swiftly take out the troops. However, the next second, Ben Grimm crashes through and starts attacking Reed, demanding to know why he ran away. As Reed pleads with Ben and tells his friend that it's Reed's and tells his friend that it's Reed's fault, Ben knocks him out. Aboard the plane, Reed apologizes for Ben for running away and tells Ben he will fix it. But Ben knows that no one can fix his condition and tells Reed he's no longer his friend for what he's done to him. Back at Area 57, Ben leads Reed into containment. So Ben's not very cheery here. I just want him to yell his catchphrase so I know everything's okay. Just want to have some fun. Is that too much to ask? Is that to have too some ask, fun with a superhero ask, movie? Is that too, ask, too much to ask Josh Trank if that is your real name? <laughs> <laughs> so does Ben blame Reed for his condition in the comics? Because he seems to me, like, from what you've told me, he kind of came on his own accord. Yeah, but he still does. In the, in the original Aww. stories, very very much so. Um, Ben's transformation into a, into a monster while the rest of the team becomes celebrity. They don't even get to lead normal lives. They become celebrities. They're on the cover of magazines. They're on TV. They're, they're adored by the famous and the, and the rich. And then there's Ben. In the corner, hiding. <laughs> and it does make him depressed and angry. Um, and he's often grumpy. And in moments of rage, he does yell out that it reads at fault yeah. for the way he looks. But at the same time, and what this story, this movie doesn't get, is that Ben has an incredibly big heart. Hmm. And he's a loving person. Yeah. There's a warmth to Ben Grimm that I don't think is present in any other comic book character. Yeah, I, I get that. It's like a lovable, gentle, gianty kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And and Reed is his best friend, mm. so these dark feelings don't get the better of him all the time. He's just he becomes a lovable grump. Um, <clears throat> Reed spends a lot of time trying to in the early stories trying to come up with a cure for Ben, and the cures never work. And eventually, Reed comes to the conclusion. But the reason he can't cure Ben is because of Ben. Like, on a Ooh. subconscious level, Ben believed himself to be a monster that hurts people mm. because of his past. Mm. So he has a subconscious bias that prevents him from becoming human again. He's not believing hard enough. That's his problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Reed hid this theory from Bird's friend for a, long, for a while Uh-oh. because he thought it was better that Ben blame Reed 
for his condition than blame himself for it. Oh, okay, I get that. I get that logic. Then, years later, when Alicia Master comes on the scene and falls in love with Ben, this adds another layer to the issue. It's then theorised that Ben is reluctant to change back to his human form because Alicia fell in love with him as he is in his rocky form. Mm. Well, she's blind, but still. That that change would cost him the woman he loves. Late stories came with kind of a more sci-fi explanation for it, which, I don't know. I understand the need to do that, but it feels very utilitarian and not very, <laughs> we write stories. And yeah, it's I like, hey, the FF are constantly absorbing cosmic radiation filtered <laughs> through the atmosphere. So the radiation is constantly reinforcing their transformation. Like, okay, cool, whatever. Yeah. I like the bit where he's sad. And he's so sad he can't become human again. That's it's like, cool. <laughs> it's like if it was written by George Lucas in the noughties. Yeah, I'm going to find it. Maybe. It's a, it's a lot of... Here's what I find, mm. right? Um, originally, these comics were written by what seems to be like these singular creative people, Stanley mm. and Jack Kirby. They're always coming up with these incredible flares. They don't get everything right, but they have a flair for writing. And they have, like... There's romance to what yeah. Stanley does. Stanley writes with an old romantic heart, whether the story's involving love or not. And they weren't people that read comic books because they were adults, right? And mm. then as the years go by, that generation of adults writing for younger people, they drop off. And mm. what we get is several generations of fans that read comics. Yeah, there it is. And what they do now, mm. that they are in the industry, is they try to emulate or they write to copy the the comics they read as a kid. And they just don't have that romance, that flair for it in them. They're just like, what I liked was the, the science stuff. And they're like, okay, man, but Stan didn't know jack about science. Yeah, <laughs> and he wasn't, was the fun he didn't of it. care. It didn't matter. He wrote about a big, sad rock man that was so sad he couldn't kiss a girl. How can you not grasp that that's the bit that it connects with everyone? It's the heart. It's the beating heart of the story. Yeah. No, yeah. it's about the cosmic rate. No, it's not. It's, it's nothing's it's, about that. It's like it's like it's like trying to it's like it's trying to over engineer something so so it sounds more adult and less childlike. It's like no, no, have to have the whimsy, have the fantasy but, in it. But I also think and like um Casablanca's kind of a good example of this, and I'll go back to my favorite movie all the time. Like the story of Casablanca is wafer thin. Hmm. And the reason it is electric and it goes on for so long is because there's just all these wonderful moments of dialogue yes. and people staring at each other and feeling things. And modern stories, I don't know, modern... Like, I think all written entertainment's kind of gone down massively since the old days and there's a lot less poetry and romance and stuff and it's a lot more like, you know, we've got to have a fight and an explosion and a shag every 35 <laughs> seconds. Okay. <laughs> too much happens in this movie. There's too much. You don't need all this stuff. You could have half this stuff and a longer film would be better with uh, not all of this stuff happening. Bloody hell. Anyway. In his Rant cell. Oh, sorry. Over. Rant. What, what's, what's the phrase I use? I'll get you, man. I'll get you. I'll get you, man. <laughs> in his cell, Reed is approached by Sue, who apologizes for assisting in his capture. They need to use the military's help to get the teleporter working again. 
Dr. Allen enters, interrupting their reunion, and escorts Reed to the lab, where the new teleporter is, and is greeted by Franklin. The scientists give Reed space while he does the finishing touches on the teleporter to get it working again. Franklin talks to Johnny and tells him that Reed is going to help help the team get back to normal again, but Johnny is rather attached to his new powers and refuses his father's help. It's weird how Johnny's the only one who wants to keep his powers. I just find that really weird. And, you know. In this movie, it is. Yeah, I mean, that being, I mean, even even with the fact that he's not like, it doesn't seem like he's having fun at all. It's must be kind of cool. Like he can fly. Hmm. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Fly, flying, flying's the go-to superpower that everybody admits will be cool. He's got the cool powers. I don't know why Sue's that bothered. <laughs> like, why is Sue desperate to get rid of I, her powers? I, I, I was really confused with with her because, like, oh, you can turn invisible and create force fields. I mean, it's not like you're disfigured. It's just, yeah. Uh, I don't get. I, I, I don't know. I, I found, I found that it, it kind of dis- detached me from the film. I felt like Buzz like not, kills Sue. Yeah, I, I, you're right. She's an afterthought in this film. Ah, it's terrible. Yeah, I Later, mean the oh, presentation of Jessica is it Jessica Alba? Jessica Alba, yeah. In the Tim Story movies, was overly like sexualized, um, objectified, maybe rather, maybe maybe yeah, not, object- not totally object- sexualized, but objectified, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it wasn't you know she wasn't presented in the same way that the male characters were, um, but. Damn, <laughs> like, <laughs> this this Sue Storm is just dull and like Very like it was, dull. but it it feels like it was written in the early two thousand in the mid to early two thousands rather than like a decade later. Mm, what you mean at the height of gritty reboots? No, in that I I think more like sitcoms. Uh, sitcoms were based around. The guys who are going to be wacky and the wives that try to stop them. Like, that was like the basis of female characters on television for many, many years. And, yeah. and in rom coms and all things like that, you've always got the guys, you need to pack it in. And that seems like what she's doing in this movie. And it's it sucks. really does feel like it's not good. <clears throat> Later in the lab, a team of Dr. Allen's men get ready to teleport to Planet Zero. The, test, the teleporter successfully takes them to the parallel world. However, looking at the monitor feed from Planet Zero, Reed is concerned that this landscape has changed since his last visit. The next second, the team picks up a heat signature coming towards them. As they approach the signature, the team finds a human form. The form approaches, revealing itself to be Victor Von Doom, covered in rags and in great pain. <laughs> covered in rags! <laughs> well, what else are they? They're rags. It's, 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 they don't look like clothes. The team brings the unconscious body of Victor back to the lab, with the scientists noting that his readings are off the charts. So, we have 20 minutes, roughly oh, about 20 minutes of the film to go, and we're only just getting the antagonist. Brilliant, what the great, hell? good. Yeah, what no notes, wonderful, well done. <laughs> Round of applause for everyone involved. I'll send you a book voucher in the post. Jesus. jeez. Yeah, I'm kind of interested about, about that about that other cut now, because I, I, I need to see at what point does he appear. Is it with 30 minutes to go? I don't know. Scientists monitor Victor Von Doom lying in his cell, his suit fixed, uh, fused onto his entire body, as well as some of the mysterious green energy from Planet Zero. Dr. Allen, in a hazmat suit, talks to Victor and tells him that they're working on fixing his problem, but Allen also wants to know how Victor survived. Victor reveals that Planet Zero kept him alive and gave him power beyond comprehension. The next second, Victor uses telekinetic powers to kill all the scientists on the other side of the glass. Victor breaks free from his bonds and threatens to destroy Earth to protect Planet Zero. 
his world. What Using does his- that mean? I don't Why? know. Why? Based on what? What is his reasoning? Stockholm Syndrome, I don't know. Using his powers, Victor kills Dr. Allen and escapes. So it's a bit of a gruesome end to Dr. Allen there. That was uh, very Scanners-esque. Yeah, and, and, and as we said, um, we mentioned earlier that, that in part one, Dr. Harvey, in, before all the reshoots and the rebuilding of this movie, he wasn't Dr. Harvey Allen. He was Dr. Harvey Elder, which is mm. the name of a, the Fantastic Four's very first villain, the Mole Man. But then they thought, nah, <laughs> why do something interesting? <laughs> do you know what would have been good? Is if they what they did. I'm just thinking about this now. If they just had, you know, Victor cooling in the background or whatever, doing his Planet Zero stuff. You know, we don't see it, and then it's all about setting up the Mole Man, yeah, which would have been entertaining. And then right at the end of the film, something happens, and Victor Von Doom returns. It's like sets up the sequel where they fight Doctor Doom. Yeah, that would have been need... so much better. Yeah, because you can. I mean, battling. Battling some sort of monsters and a mole man dude whilst discovering your powers is a much more fun movie. Absolutely. Because you don't more. need, like, you don't need much of a story for the villain in the first one. That's the second one. Exactly. Wrath of Khan. I have to say, Doctor Doctor Doom actually looks scary and threatening here. There, there, is, there is this kind of sinister malevolence to it, although it doesn't really feel like a Doctor Doom. It just feels like, it feels almost like Ultron. It feels like a Terminator. It feels like a Terminator. It just feels like a robot, yeah, but still just... kind of scary. So I, I'm sure this is uh, taking some inspiration from the ultimate version of Doctor Doom, but what can you tell us about this version? Does it differ much from the uh, original? Yes. It does. Oh, In the ultimate go. universe, he isn't, he isn't Victor Von Doom at all. Oh. He's Victor Van Damme. He, and he's got a doctorate in kickboxing. And he's related. <laughs> he's re- guess who's, who's related to? No, he's not. Guess? He's related to Jean-Claude Van Damme. No, he's related to Dracula. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a direct descendant of Vlad Tepes Dracula. Jean-Claude Van Dracula. Um, and, yeah, the things that they copy from the comics is that he is part of this Baxter Foundation. Mm. When Reed joins, they do away with the amazing actual Kirby and Lee interaction and, and reason behind a hatred between the two, where they just, they're next to each other. Um, and he's part of the accident, the teleportation accident that gives them all powers. Mm. Now, whilst the Fantastic Four in the ultimate, the ultimate Fantastic Four's powers are compared to the the four classical Greek elements. Ah, yes. With Sue representing, obviously Ben is rock, uh, uh, earth. Uh, Johnny is fire. Um, Sue is as air with her invisibility, and with his fluidity of motion, mm. um, Reed is water. I never spotted this before. I never spotted this. Doom has attained the power of one of the additional Chinese elements, which is metal. Ah. So his body becomes almost completely solid metal. He possesses no internal organs. (sighs) He does not wear armor like in the regular Marvel Universe. He is a metal man. His legs become... Goat-like haunches with hooves Ooh. to re-emphasize this kind of satanic element to him. 
this devil element. Um, he expels the rest of his internal organs as a poisonous gas that will kill people. Wow. He can grow and fling porcupine-like volleys of metal spikes from his arms and all sorts of stuff like that. I'm looking at a picture of him now. It's mad. He becomes a charismatic leader of this hippie enclave in Eastern Europe in between the borders of several countries. And that builds up his power base. Um, He starts to invent and give them all sorts of wonderful benefits because he's like hey hippies do you all want uh, incredible access to wi-fi all the time in this enclave <laughs> where there is no broadcast and they're like yeah and he goes great let me just inject you with these nanos mm. um and then after a civil war in his old home country of latveria his his hippie people and him seize control and he becomes a beloved leader the good doctor he is called because he quickly transforms latveria from this third world country uh into the ninth richest country in the world wow but he also spreads nanobots throughout the population to keep everyone loyal i'm, I'm sure so, yeah. the, the trains run on time too <laughs> he's not anything any anywhere near as kind of like wonderful as the real dr doom in the regular marvel universe he's he's not even in my mind presented as much of a I don't know. He's not a terribly memorable villain in the uh, Ultimate Comics, but there you go. That's fair. That's fair. As alarms blare and Doctor Doom rampages through the base, the rest of the team are alerted. Wandering through the corridors, Reed comes across Ben and the two team up. Elsewhere, Johnny almost attacks Sue and they head off to find their father. In the lab, Franklin pleads with Victor to stop, with Doom saying that Earth is no longer his home. Victor desires the power to create a new world. The the next second, Sue and Johnny enter, begging Victor to stop. But as Victor tells the siblings that the Earth is finished, he kills Franklin in front of them before heading to the teleporter. Reed and Ben enter and try to stop Victor, but it's too late. As Franklin dies, he tells his children to promise him that they'll look after each other. The next second, Victor teleports back to Planet Zero, donning a hood and cape. Murdering Sue and Johnny's father in front of them is pretty evil. But you hinted at the beginning in part one, and I don't know if I'm really comfortable asking this. What's the worst thing Doctor Doom has ever done? <clears throat> well, he's a dictator, rules his own country, you know, a tyrant. He invaded Wakanda and tried to enslave everyone. And at one mm, point, he used the that. Purple Man, Kilgrave, to mind control the whole world and make himself emperor. But we should talk about. Doom's childhood friend and sweetheart, Valeria. Oh, they were best friends, the first loves, um, the only person that Victor has ever truly loved behind besides his mother, um, who is in hell. Um, <clears throat> she was, you know, and they had this wonderful past together. But then he moved on with his life, and once he becomes Doctor Doom, some of the villains kidnap her. And tried to use Valeria's as leverage, and he rescues her, and he's like, "It's me, I'm back." But she doesn't like the man he's become. She doesn't like Doctor Doom. She loved Victor, and so mm. he he tries to better himself and win her heart. And there's a, a few meetings over the years. Eventually, Victor comes to Valeria without his armor or his mask, laid bare, just like when they were young. 
and Victor doesn't unmask in front of people. And so he vows to renounce science in exchange for her love and for her hand. And Valeria knows mm. what a monumental sacrifice this was for Victor. Like, science as his was his life. Yeah. And so she sees it as an indication that this is proof that he really does love me. And he does. And Valeria accepts Victor's offer and, and, and professes her love for him. And then Doctor Doom murders her in cold blood. Wow. Because he's made a deal with a cabal of devils who have offered Doom unimaginable mystic power in exchange for the sacrifice of something truly irreplaceable, which he decided meant his one true love. Oh. He then flays the skin from her body and no. uses it to make his new enchanted armour. No. And that is just the beginning of the story we're covering on <laughs> Patreon this month. It's called Unthinkable because that's how it starts. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel will have the whole deep dive bonus episode on that this month. Wow. Okay. Whew. And you Back get access to every other bonus episode we've ever done. So oh yeah, yeah. Those, those are good. Those are good too. There's much Infinity less playing. Gauntlet, and everything else. There's no. There's, there's no skin wearing in that. There's, there's some. There's, no, there's a little bit. No, no buffalo bit. billing in it at there's all. There's some flaying <laughs> in Infinity Gauntlet. Oh yeah, there was a bit. Yeah. Back on Planet Zero, Victor creates a black hole to consume <laughs> the resources of Earth. From the other dimension, a vortex opens at Area Fifty Seven and pulls the team into Planet Zero, narrowly avoiding the black hole. Touching down on Victor's new home, the team faces off against Victor. Johnny flames on and flies at Doom, but Von Doom covers sorry, but Doctor Doom covers Johnny in rocks, extinguishing his fire and causing him to crash. Ben is surrounded by boulders and is unable to move. Back on Earth, more of the surrounding land outside Area 57 is sucked into the vortex. On Planet Zero, Victor manages to detect Susan and takes her down. Reed begs with Victor to stop, but he responds with there is no victor, only doom, before restraining Richards with his powers. That line, there is no victor, only doom, it just felt like Ghostbusters. There is no Dana, only yeah, Zool. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the first thing that came to mind. I was like, no, don't do not do that. I, I also just don't think it's very good. Like, again, the point the point of the Doctor Doom, the, the, the Doctor Doom character that's worked for so many years, it's not that, like, he, he's a split personality or he stops being a good person and becomes a bad... Like... Do you know what I mean? It's not like... He's uh, always been that way. That's there him. is no that's Norman Osborn. Uh, it's just me, the Green Gob. Like, that's not the, the story that you're telling with this guy. No. they. I think they, they, they uh, try to fit, they try to sort of pigeonhole it into a typical archetype of, of a villain. Yeah, like, he becomes oh, possessed by alien energy yeah. and thus becomes yeah. an alien kind of monster. Stupid. I also think yeah. it's stupid that the villain can immediately detect um, the Invisible Woman. What's the point of her, then? Oh god, yeah. That's... First thing he does. Oh, I can see you. There you are. Yeah, that's Great. again treating her as an afterthought. <laughs> it's just stupid. Yeah. It's like a character who doesn't get like what what happened? Oh, so the the very first person that Johnny Storm uses his flames on turns out he can't get burned. Oh, great, cool. I'm glad we got that character then. <laughs> Didn't even see him. We we saw him destroy a drone. That was yeah. pretty cool, I guess. 
As Reed is dragged to the floor, Victor sees that Sue is back on her feet and tries to use his powers on her. Reed looks around and sees Ben and Johnny needing help. Sue struggles against Doom's powers and starts to collapse. Reed, straining with all his might, gathers himself, gathers himself from his restraints and gets to his feet. The next second, Doom fires a barrage of rocks at Reed, but Reed manages to dodge them and then sends Doom hurtling down into a gorge below. The rest of the team are now free from their bonds, but they realise that as long as the black hole is active, Doom is still alive. Reed tells the rest of the team that maybe their powers are who they're meant to be and they need to work as a team. I have to say, it's not much of a final battle, is it? It's a bit... No. A bit lack. I mean, it, it, it the first and... Fantastic Four film actually had it. When, when we're talking about it, there was teamwork and stuff. It was a great, great battle. It worked. And this just feels like, oh, our powers <laughs> don't work and he's just covering us in stones. Great. And since you've decided that your whole thing is going to be dark and action-based rather than mm. doing even as anything else with the movie you need to have great set pieces great action set pieces and it just felt it just felt very basic like not like they weren't even trying it, again just really rushed so what are the team's powers like in the ultimate marvel comics because we touched uh, on that earlier uh, and how they change and how more powerful they were and like especially with Reed Richards are they the same as this movie um i mean roughly like sue's sue's ultimate ultimate visible woman's powers aren't i don't think they're any different at all they're, mm. they're the same as the regular uh like marvel universe that we've seen before um and the same as this ben's powers in the Ultimate Comics, are roughly the same. Although he he gains the ability to transform back to a human at will, which uh, just kills the entire character of Ben Grimm. If you ask me, I don't like that. I don't um, like that. He just turns Rocky for a fight and turns it off again. That's really um, that's. Uh, does he have a, Does he have any like morose? Not morose. Does he have any de- depressed moments at the or, start? Yeah, but then, then he just. But yeah. then he can do it at will. Reed's the interesting one. Like, I believe it's Warren Ellis that right that starts to develop Reed, um, mm. and Warren Ellis is a writer that loves weird, uh, dark sci-fi, and he 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 starts with this thing that Reed's cells have been replaced with pliable bacterial stacks, single cells. Ah, okay which duplicate most of the larger functions of the human body. So that allows him to stretch without disrupting the functions of any internal organs. Okay. It's entirely possible they basically didn't not they they start to think he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't seem to have any organs. Mm. <laughs> um he's he is a bacterial stacked person. Mm. Um at one point, we they work out that um, Reed's ability allow him to stretch his brain in order to accommodate and solve any problem. Ah, oh, okay. That's interesting. He can grow the parts of the brain and enlarge the parts of the brain that he needs to think of a solution. Like, doesn't matter what the problem <laughs> is, his brain grows to adapt around it. That's amazing. He's so he really also is the smartest man on earth. Then he is the smartest. <clears throat> man. He's also immortal. 
Oh, um, well, because of the m- metabolism and whatnot. Reed works out that his biology is no longer based on the principle of entropy. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> he doesn't have to eat. He doesn't take nourishment. He doesn't excrete waste. He doesn't have a vascular system. Mm. He doesn't need to breathe oxygen. He can survive. He survived in vacuums. Um, and he says, he also says, I'm not entirely sure I passed the definition of being alive. Wow. Um, so, yeah, Reed's, Reed's the one that is more different. I, I it, was, it was always weird when anyone talks about, like, immortality and they go, ah, probably, am I even alive anymore? I'm like, oh, God, that's that's just raising further questions. Yeah. Just say you're alive. Don't, don't, don't be like that. <laughs> Doom appears out of the gorge and faces the team. Ben throws a massive boulder at Doom, but this does nothing. The rest attack, but Doom proves to be a formidable opponent against their powers. Doom throttles Reed and threatens him, but this was only a distraction. Suddenly, Ben Grimm charges at Doom, yelling, It's clobbering time! and sends Doom flying into his own black hole. It was genuinely not fun when he finally said it, because of the connotations of from the start of the movie. I... I... I, I, I forgot about the connotations and I was just happy he said it, to be honest. But yeah. hearing that back, I'm like, yeah. oh, God, that's really sullied it. Mm. <laughs> it's well, just really, so weird. It's, it doesn't it's like, sound good. Oh, God. Imagine if it was his dad that, <laughs> I'm going to beat you. And at the end of the movie, he's like, I'm going to beat you. Like, what the hell are uh, they doing? Wow. Yeah, not good, not good. As Doom struggles in the vortex, Johnny destroys the pillars surrounding the black hole, which destroys it and Doom along with it. With no time to lose, the team fly back through the black hole, arriving back at Earth in front of the massive crater where Area 57 once was. Later, the team meets with the Pentagon officials to discuss an agreement with the government, but the team doesn't want an agreement, but a place where they can work. While the officials are reluctant at first, the team convinces them to give them their own remote lab for them to work at. As the team gaze and wonder at their new giant lab, Reed suggests that they need a team name. After from inspiration from Ben, Reed comes up with the perfect name, the Fantastic Four. In the bit... comics, when they name themselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen like, that. Like, uh, Johnny's like, I'm the human torch, and, and Sue's I'm the invisible woman, and... and... <laughs> and Ben is like, I'm some monstrous thing. I guess I'll just be the thing. And oh, Reed is like, and I shall be Mr. Fantastic, <laughs> because I'm so great. That's, and thus been... we shall be the Fantastic Four, named after me. They're, they're, I think they got memed a bit. I've seen it on comic book pages where, they, where someone just said, Reed Richards doesn't know how to read a bloody room. <laughs> Massively. Hilarious. So are there any major differences from the regular Fantastic Four and the ultimate uh, Fantastic Four that this movie is based on? Yeah. So Reed and Sue don't get married in the Ultimate Universe. Mm. Um, Sue rejects him. And Reed kind of falls apart. And then the FF disband. And Reed ends up moving back in with his mom and dad, who he doesn't like. Uh... And then the world is attacked by alien invaders. And the first thing these aliens do is blow up the Richards home to kill Reed Richards, the biggest threat to an alien invasion. Hmm. So a heartbroken Sue, Johnny, and Ben carry on fighting him in Reed's name and trying to get to the bottom of this alien invasion and trying to work out who these aliens are and what they want. They team up with the Ultimate Avengers and try to stop this alien army. 
only to eventually learn that the aliens are being led by Reed Richards. Like his oh, world, okay. his world view had been radically altered after witnessing all these world-ending threats they've 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 been through, mm. and now he believes humanity needs someone like him to solve all their problems, no matter what the cost, and that cost is ruling them. Wow! So he fakes his death, kills his parents that he never liked, and commands this alien army. <laughs> Bloody and hell. you spend the time expecting there to be some twist of like, oh, it's not really read, it's mm. a scroll or it's a mind control. No, it's just fully one hundred percent read. Bloody um, hell! He gets defeated by the rest by the rest of the FF, um, horribly disfigured because Johnny burns him. Like, mm. how dare you hurt my sister? And so he's half his face is like burnt horribly. Um, so now you know, which is a, a very villain. A trope, yeah, the disfigurement, and then he's cast out into the negative zone because he'll be completely trapped in an antimatter universe. He might not be able to die there, but he'll always be alone. He'll never have a family because he he turned his back on them. Um, and years later, he returns to the ultimate universe. Um, he spent a thousand years in the future because he can't die, and return to the present day with a race of genetically engineered people called the Children, and he <laughs> once again does battle with the Ultimates and the remnants of the Fantastic Four. And Bloody hell. And after several adventures like that, Sue and Ben Grimm fall in love and get married. It's a very fractured um, end result for this Fantastic Four. And then the maker as Reed now calls himself, after the secret wars and the destruction of the Ultimate Universe, wouldn't you know he finds his way back into the 616 universe to cause trouble for the Avengers. Well, there we have it, the 2015 Fantastic Four reboot, reimagining... Or whatever it might be. Um, <laughs> thank you, Will, for guiding us through that movie so ably. Um, I'd love to know your favourite pieces of trivia that you've learned today from our show. Well, it's, uh, controversial. I thought that was not favourite, but like one that sticks out is the age difference between Reed and Sue, which disturbing. Uh, Undone, is, undone, all undone yeah, which, now. Yeah, all that, which is thankfully undone. That was interesting to learn. Uh, Franklin Storm's prison backstory, which was really weird. Uh, also, I can't decide if my favourite one is uh, what Doctor the, the worst thing Doctor Doom did, oh. or uh, <laughs> Ultimate Reed Richards becoming a evil godlike hey, monster. being. I know. I, I can't decide between the two, and it's like both both pe- both people doing the worst thing they've ever done. We'd love to know your thoughts on this movie. If you haven't already gotten in touch, drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. And, Will, uh, your final thoughts on this movie, please. Well, it, it's, it's pretty sta- pretty obvious that everybody really hates this movie. But, I, I mean, even after we've been through this and, like, on second glance, I, 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 will say, I, was, I was going to say it was just meh, just okay, but it really does start to steer to more towards awful now. I mean, it followed the standard superhero formula, you know, whatever, that's fine, I guess. I can see why a lot of people like uh, didn't like it, but 
I can't call this an absolutely awful film because I've seen awful films and it doesn't <laughs> feel like it should be in the same league as those films. But, you know, maybe a league up. Let's put it that way. So I'll start with a good point. Uh, you know, the darker tone, the body horror aspect, you know, great, great in places, more so about ideas. Although I would have loved to have seen more focus on the body horror. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, some great cast in there. Uh, Toby Cabell's Doctor Doom. I really, I, I would like to see him return in the MCU. Not maybe not as Doom, but I, 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 I like him. I like him. He, he pops up in things. I go, oh, I, I, he's got a nice face. The scientific wonder of the whole thing and replacing space travel with the negative zone. Uh, I thought it was a nice touch, even though we they call it a planet, but that's fine. Whatever. Now, bad points of the film. I felt. Like most of the film was this was just basically the the first and second act without a third without much of a third. I I didn't I don't know whether they could have made the film longer or the first half shorter, but it does not feel complete. In terms of superhero stuff, massive letdown. Barely any action and too much origin story. While the darker tone was interesting, it detracted from the fun and joyful Fantastic Four that works so well, and it just feels like there's a lot missing from this. There's so much missing from this. It just doesn't... I, I, I don't know. What I would have changed if I could have changed this would be uh, would be to have more light tone in places where necessary to offset the morose grittiness. And But that said, definitely more body horror. <laughs> Less... Ah, <po> what? <laughs> A lighter uh, tone with more body horror, please. Yes! Uh <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Less plotting with the origin story, more superhero fighting. Basically, in essence, this should have been more like the previous Fantastic Four film. Thank you very much, Will. Um, reading list for this um, this episode, uh, check out Ultimate Fantastic Four by Mark Miller and Brian Michael Bendis. I also think it's worth reading The Ultimate Fantastic Four by Warren Ellis. Mm. Um, uh, check out Fantastic Four by John Byrne. Um, for the uh, the 80s resurgence and um, I think also Fantastic Four Unthinkable by Mark Wade, which we are covering on the Patreon this month is a great jumping on point um, our next episode folks as we crash through 2024 Phase 1 Remastered continues we're going to take a proper deep dive into Asgard, Mjolnir and Enchantments with Thor Remastered Support the show on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Marvel versus Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston, and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel versus Marvel.